man, it's so good to see you. Let us pray before we go into, to dive into God's Word. Father God, we are just so grateful, my God, that even in the darkest moments in our lives, my God, you will never change, O oh Lord. Woo! And you will never let us sink, Lord. You will always sustain us, Father God. And so we are just humbled that you've given us a privilege to sing praises to your name. And my God, as we open up your holy word, Father, give us eyes to see, prepare our hearts for what you want to teach us today. And so, Father, we ask for your blessing now. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say... Amen. Well, hey, Christ Fellowship, good to see you. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at CF. And I want to welcome all of our campuses right now that are joining us live all through Miami, as well as everyone online, Palmetto Bay. Let's go ahead and give it up for them right now. Thank you so much for being here, especially if you are a first-time guest. You know, we have been on a journey through the Gospel of Mark, and we are on a, in a series that we're looking at selected teachings, hard teachings that the Lord shared with us. And uh, we have seen that Jesus never really beat around the bush when he taught us truth, but he was always straight up with us. And today, we're going to be learning of how Jesus was straight up with us about the truth of sin and hell. And so I've been looking forward to teaching this passage. I've been praying over this teaching. And so I am looking forward to dive into God's Word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verse 42 and 43. And you can follow along with me as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to what? to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to a place called what? Hell, to the unquenchable fire. In other words, Jesus here is warning us of the dangers of sin so that we can elevate our urgency against it. That is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. And as many of you know, you know, earlier uh, in the month of April, uh, I was actually uh, tested positive for COVID, and by the grace of God, the Lord sustained and protected me and my family. And I want to thank all of you because I know a lot of you prayed for, me, for us and just encouraged us. And thank you so much. It's really humbling to be part of this church family. And so I felt the love. So thank you so much for, for everything. But while I had some time just to kind of lay low for a bit, I started reflecting a little bit on this past year. And it's interesting how my view and my urgency against this virus changed through time. You know, last, last year in March, when we all went into that lockdown, I think all of our urgencies was pretty high against this virus. In fact, I remember going to the store, putting on the gloves, putting on not one mask, but double mask, right? Double mask, and I was making sure that no one was close to me, and I was taking all the precautions and all that stuff. And family, it wasn't all, not only me. People took things to a really high level. In fact, let me just show you some pictures. Right, yeah, we got this guy right here who is 
like a green Darth Vader pretty much, right? And then he's protecting himself from all these particles. We also have uh, this, this lady. Yeah, she was looking stylish in those garbage bags, but, you know, she was have so, rocking the glasses, right? She wanted to be sure she was looking good. We got this guy with pool floaties making sure no one got closer than six feet, right? Making sure everyone stood away. And we love our dogs. So even the dogs were protected, right, during this, during this time. But, you know, here's the, here's the truth of the matter, which I think happened to many of us in the process. Something happened that as time went on, the more that I got familiar with this virus, my urgency went, went down. You see, something happens, happened to me psychologically that the more I got familiar with this virus, the more I lived with the reality of this virus, listen, even though I still took precautions, my urgency against it started to diminish. And folks, the moment that I got tested positive for COVID and I got confronted with the dangers of this virus, right, with the possible dangers, listen, my urgency went up right away. In fact, I told my wife to take her, to take Camila and her to go to the urgent care and just to get tested. And so while they were out, I asked my mom to come to the house just to clean and disinfect, just to do as much as possible. And I went into isolation. And folks, while I was in isolation, I took the highest precautions, right? I sealed the door to that part of the house. I cut up an AC filter. Kid you not, an AC filter, I put it under the door just to make sure that no, no, nothing was getting through. I didn't want any air circulation from my part of the house to their part of the house, so I shut down the AC vents. I opened up the sliding glass door. I turned on that fan, and folks, for over a week, I had no AC. I just relied on that fan. And folks, don't miss the point. Because the moment that I understood, right, the moment that I was faced again with the reality of this virus, listen, my urgency went up against it and it did whatever I needed to do to protect everyone else. And so, folks, let me just bring that over to our time together because what an image of when we are reminded of this thing called sin. And, and by that I mean that just like my urgency against COVID raised the moment I was reminded of the reality of the dangers of this virus, listen, just like that, and here's the big idea as we dive into God's Word. When we are reminded of the dangers of sin, listen, there should be a natural urgency against it. It should elevate immediately because here's what happens. The moment that we come to know Christ as Savior and we put our trust in him, right, our urgency against sin is high. But something happens that through time, the more you live with the reality of sin and you're in your walk with, with, with the Lord, it, what could happen is that urgency starts to diminish through time, right? But folks, it's not until we're reminded of the truth, of the danger of sin, that our urgency is elevated again. And folks, that's exactly what our Lord, Jesus Christ, is going to do in this passage. And kudos, maybe you're out there right now, you're thinking, well, Omar, what exactly is the danger of sin? 
and what should be our urgency against it? We're going to find out from Mark chapter 9, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. You can fire up your Christ Fellowship apps as well. And today I have three thoughts for us on what should be our mentality against sin. So write this down as point number one. First of all, sin must be avoided at all costs. At all costs. Now, let's go to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to what? Sin. To sin. Now, pause right there, and if you have your Bibles open, you can mark and circle the word sin for a moment because several weeks ago, I helped us understand that the whole concept of sin is something that is strictly pertain- pertains to our relationship with God. You see, if there was no God, there would be no concept of sin. So sin is essentially when we disobey God, and essentially what we do is that we are rebelling against our creator God. Remember that when God created us and he gave us his perfect law, his perfect will for us to follow, that if we would abide by his law, not only would we enjoy the benefits of following his will, but at the same time, we would, we would be able to enjoy fellowship with our creator. But family, the moment we broke that law, listen, in a small way or a big way, the Bible calls that sin, that disobedience, rebellion against God. And scripture teaches us in the book of Romans that all of us, every single person watching right now, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rebelled against the Lord. And folks, because sin is really rebellion against God, write this down as letter A. Jesus here is going to tell us to avoid causing anyone else to sin. Now let's go back to the passage and listen to what it says. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown to the sea. Now stop right there and notice, when he says the word little ones, he's not just referring to children. In fact, he's referring to anybody who believes in him. In fact, the Lord calls us to those who put our trust in him, to belong to him. He calls us his little ones. And church family, what a warning we see here. Because if you cause someone who belongs to him, someone who believes in the Lord, someone who is his child to sin, Jesus says it's better for you to wrap a huge boulder around your neck and throw yourself in the middle of the sea. And sometimes when we think about this, we think of the obvious cases, right? When maybe leading someone to do something horrific. We understand that, but I think the Lord also means not the obvious, the the not so obvious cases, So, for example, when you're in a conversation with someone and you're talking about an issue or dilemma in their life, it's easy for us to minimize God's word in in those moments. Oh, I know that God, the Bible says that, but listen, you got to do this. you got to think rationally about this. Leading someone to sin. Or maybe you're in an argument and you're going to say something or do something that you know is going to provoke someone to sin. Or maybe post something on social media that's going to lead someone to lust or to envy you for whatever reason. And even for for parents, listen, 
Parents, we got to be reminded that when God entrusted us children, listen, he's expecting us to lead them and to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And so, parents, be careful that you are not doing this yourself. Think about the way you're living your life, how you're handling your romances, your sexual life. How are you handling your money? What's the, the way you speak? What, how do you carry your life? What's your lifestyle? Be careful, parents, that you are not leading your children, setting the wrong example, leading your child to eventually think that sin is okay in their life. Parents, be careful that you don't do what Jesus is saying here. So not only are we to avoid help anyone else's sin, but also write this down as letter B. Listen, avoid anything that causes you to sin. In fact, listen to what Jesus says next. He says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Listen, it's obvious the Lord here is not talking about actual mutilation, but he's been very clear here. He wants you to be radical about getting rid of those things in your life that will cause you to sin. So church, we got to survey our life, and we got to look in our life and see what are those things, what are those people in our lives that are causing me to sin? For some of us, it's a romantic relationship. It's a boyfriend or girlfriend leading us to be sexually impure. For some of us, it's a group of friends on Friday nights or Saturday nights. For some of us, it's a lifestyle, it's a hobby, it's someone at work. For some of us, it's a computer or an iPhone. And so what Jesus would say here, listen, if that relationship is causing you to sin, cut it off. Listen, if, if that one hobby or the lifestyle is causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your iPhone is causing you to sin, listen, it's better for you to enter into heaven with a beeper, yeah, with a beeper than to go to hell holding your iPhone. That is what Jesus is saying here. And so the Lord here is warning us, listen, be radical, be urgent against sin in your life. And here's why. Write this down as big number two. It's because sin leads people to hell. Now listen to what Jesus is going to say next, because he's going to be straight up with them and with us. Listen to what he says. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, to sin tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, church, notice church, uh, Jesus here mentions the word hell not one time, not two times, but three times. And the topic of hell is something that in some churches, they don't want to talk about this thing, but 
The reality is the Lord took time to be straight up with us about this place called hell, then we should talk about it. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about this whole concept of hell for just a little bit. Where did this term hell come from? Well, the word hell right there in your Bibles comes from the original Greek word Gehenna. So whenever you see the word hell in the Bible, the word Gehenna is what's behind it. Now, the word Gehenna in the, in, it comes, is from the root word of a place, called, a, a place in Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. Of Hinnom. Now, let me show you something so you can have a visual of it. So this, you know, Jerusalem is called the city on a hill. And around it, there's a lot of steep ravines and there's little valleys around. So on the southern part of Jerusalem, it's a place called the Valley of Hinnom. Now let me just give you a little history lesson of what happened in this valley. Back in the Old Testament, there were two evil kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, who led the people of Israel to worship this false god named Molech. And the way that they thought they could appease the wrath of this false god named Molech was by human sacrifices, specifically child sacrifices. And so in a terrible season in the life of of, of the nation of Israel, they would sacrifice their children right on this valley. But by the grace of God, there was a man named Josiah, a good king that came along, that he put an end to all of that. And so he converted this valley from a place where they would do human sacrifices to uh, Jerusalem's really garbage dump. And so what they would do is they would bring all the, all the rancid food, they would bring all the sewage, everything, all that yucky stuff, right? They would bring in all that garbage there, and there would be worms there, there would be maggots, right? It was a, a really dirty place. And so in order to start getting rid of all this, they lit a fire that would never end. You know, it was a fire that was on 24-7, and so it was continually consuming all of the waste of Jerusalem. And so no doubt, Jesus used uh, this valley, right, where they would knew that this was a fire all the time, and he would grab images and imagery, right, from this, from this valley to help people understand the reality of hell. That's probably what Jesus would mention, things like where the worm does not die and the fire does not, is not quenched. So he used that imagery there to help people understand the reality of hell. And so here's what the Lord teaches us throughout Scripture about this place called hell. Let me just show you a general description for us to kind of rally around it. That those who sin, right, those who rebelled against their creator God, Those who sin before a holy and a righteous God deserve eternal punishment in a real place called hell. Now, I know that when we read that, it's it's a heavy statement. It's, It's a heavy, accurate statement. And what happens is that when we start thinking about any, a place where there's eternal punishment, for many of us, it almost may seem almost inconceivable. You know, so the, the fact that we cannot wrap our minds around the concept of hell could even lead us to reject the truth of hell. In fact, just recently, the Pew Research Center did a study to see how many people believe in this place called hell. And let me, let me, see, let me show you what they came up with, what they, what, they, what they found out. That 27% of non-religious people 
believe in a place called hell. That means that over 70% of people do not believe hell exists. Then the next thing they found that 31% of religious non-Christian people believe in hell. So people uh, like Middle Eastern religions or um, uh, Oriental religions, all these different type of religions, they don't believe in a place called hell, only 31%. You probably wonder, what about Christians? What, what, what percentage do we believe? Well, about 70% of believers, of Christians, believe in a place called hell. Now, that's not encouraging because that means that about 30% of people who say that they profess faith in Jesus Christ do not believe his teachings when it comes to the concept of hell. And I think part of it is because since it's hard for people to wrap their mind around it, 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 you know, they, they just can't understand it. You know, they, they, they start rejecting it. And so, folks, even though we believe as a church that everything that Jesus said about hell is 100% accurate, is 100% true, right? We take Jesus at his word. We don't, we don't question him. Today, I want to just give us maybe a little different angle to maybe help us kind of wrap our minds around this concept of hell. Can I do that for us today? Yeah? So write this down as letter A. Hell is a place where God's grace is absent. Now, when I say the word grace, many of you know this, right? The word grace means unmerited favor, right? Favor that God has on us that we do not deserve. Or another way of, of understanding it is God's goodness towards you and me that we don't deserve. So let me help you understand all this, you know, the concept of of, of, of hell when it comes to the, the thought of grace. So, for example, let's just talk about heaven for a moment. In heaven, we see that there's infinite riches of God's grace. You know, all of God's goodness, all of God's grace is poured down on us infinitely in heaven, right? There is absolute joy, absolute comfort, absolute peace, absolute love and joy, infinite measure of all those things. In fact, listen to what Revelation chapter 21 says. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Folks, again, in heaven there is an infinite riches of God's grace. So if in heaven there's rich, infinite riches of God's grace, then when we come to earth, right, where we are right now in this world, what we see is that God has bestowed on humanity common grace. That's the theological term that, that we have for common grace. Now, common grace, you know, well, let me back up. The reality is that what we deserve as human beings for sinning against God is immediate death, right? That's what we all deserve. We, don't, we should not deserve to even live a second in life after we sin, right? That's what we deserve. But God bestows on every human being a measure of grace. And so, for example, we don't die immediately, but we live a life. Uh, and when we look around, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're godly or ungodly, you get to experience certain aspects of God's goodness, Right, you get to experience certain aspects of God's grace. It doesn't matter who you are. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. He says this. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, even though we don't deserve it, whether you are a godly person or an ungodly person, right, you can still go to the beach and enjoy a day at the beach. You know, whether you're godly or ungodly, when you're hot, you can have a cool drink of water. You know, whether you're godly or ungodly, right, you can experience the concept of laughter. You see, there's an aspect that God has bestowed upon every single human being, aspects of his goodness, aspects of his grace for us to enjoy. Now, for people, right, who come to know Christ, right, we start tasting a little bit of the grace that we're going to experience in heaven, right? You know, the moment you start walking with the Lord, you guys, you start experiencing things about all the riches of grace that God has bestowed upon us, and it's not until we die and we go to heaven that we get to experience the full measure of God's grace, the full measure of his goodness. But while we're here on earth, we experience common grace just like anybody, right? But we get to start experiencing a little more of the, 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 the grace that, we've, that, we, that we will experience in heaven, so if heaven is the infinite riches of God's grace and his goodness, uh, if on earth we have aspects of his grace and goodness that everyone is able to enjoy and experience, then what we see in hell is that there is a total absence of God's grace. There's a, a total absence of, of God's goodness. You know, it's easy, you know, not, you know, for for TV and for movies and, and songs to almost depict hell as a place where you're going to continue to sin and just have fun and enjoy the same things you have in life. And that's not the case. Because even though in this earth we experience aspects of God's goodness and his grace, when in, in this place called hell, there's a f- complete and utter absence of anything from God. And all of his grace. You see, in, 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 in hell there is no comfort. There is no relief. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no comfort. It's a complete absence of any other grace of God. Now, it's not theologically correct. You know, some people say, well, God's presence is not in hell. But the reality is that God created hell and he's omnipresent, it means he exists everywhere. But what is theologically correct is that there's an absence of all of his grace and all of his goodness in hell. And so the reality is of hell is it's a real place where there's nothing of the goodness that we experience here on earth from God. And so the question is, if we can bring back, back up the, the, the chart for a moment. So... What would cause someone that has tasted some of the goodness of God, the grace of God, not to go to heaven where there's infinite riches of God's grace, but what would cause someone then to go to hell where there's an absence of God's grace and goodness? Well, write this down as letter B. Hell's a place for people who choose anything over God. In fact, listen to what it says in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God, the wrath of God in hell, right, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For although they knew God, in other words, God has put into the heart of every human being the knowledge that there is a creator God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, become, they became futile in their thinking and, in their, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what's the next word, church family? And what? A little louder. Yeah, and they exchanged really key word here. So I want you to pay attention to that. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. As the church noticed, the horror, the horror of sin is that finite created human beings exchange the glory of God for the glory of created things. They exchange putting their faith, their trust, and finding their satisfaction and their joy in God, and they found that in other things on this earth. See, that is why God's word says in the book of Jeremiah, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountains of living water. They've exchanged the living waters that we can only found in God and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that could hold no water. You see, and so whenever you and I sin, whether it's big or small, every time you sin, what you're doing at that moment is that you're exchanging the glory of God for the glory of something here down on this earth. And so what Scripture's teaching us, listen carefully here, don't miss this, is that people do not spend eternity in hell because they reject the gospel, but rather they go to hell because in their hearts, every one of us has exchanged the glory of God for the glory of created things. The gospel saves us into heaven, but the reason all of us deserve hell is because in our hearts, we've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of created things. And you know, and this answers the common question of the proverbial Pacific Islander. Well, no, we've all heard that question of, of, you know, what about that Pacific Islander living in that island by himself, and he's never heard of the gospel, he's never heard the name Jesus, how can it be that he is destined to go to hell? How can it be that doesn't seem fair? Again, church family, people do not go to hell because they reject the gospel. That's the way to get into heaven. That's why we need missions. But people go to hell. Because in their hearts, they exchange the glory of God for the glory of created things. You see, that Pacific Islander, in his heart, rejected God and made himself little idols to worship that. And so the point is that, listen, there are no innocent Pacific Islanders. There's not one person on this earth that is sinless before God, that is innocent before God. There are no innocent people. So you might be thinking, okay, Omar, I get it. I'm tracking with you. I get it. But listen, I, I just got to be honest with you. How it just seems a little overkill, in my opinion. You know, to think that a small sin here deserves eternal punishment in hell. I'm sorry. 
that just seems like overkill. And so if that's where you're at, let me just give you another example to help you process this whole thing. Imagine for a moment that there was no God, right? There was no God. No, he was not in the picture. And there was an Adolf Hitler type person on this earth that doesn't go just to go on to kill just one person. But he goes on to kill every uh, one group of people. He goes on to kill every group of people. In fact, he kills all 7 billion people on this planet. Now, first of all, there will be no sin if there's no God, right? It's just chemicals killing another chemical, so that's, but that's beside the point. But the question that I want to pose for you today is this. Does that person who killed 7 billion people, do they deserve eternity and eternal punishment? Think about it. That person who killed 7 billion people deserved eternal punishment. And the answer is no. Here's why. Because even if you give that person five lifetimes, 100 years for every single person killed, it'd still be a finite number. Billions and billions of years still be finite numbers. And so eternity will be unjust. But notice, when we sin, we're not sinning against a finite person. We're sinning against an infinite God, a God who is infinitely glorious, a God who is infinitely holy, a God who is infinitely righteous. So even one sin against an infinitely holy and righteous God, what we deserve is eternal punishment, infinite punishment. And family, listen, I could spend a year a year talking about hell. And even me, listen, that I went to seminary, I have studied this at length, even I could try to wrap my hands around it. And we can spend at times talking about this, talking about this, talking about this. But here's what I want us to understand. It's not until we get to heaven and we see the holiness and the righteousness of God that, folks, at that moment, hell will make sense for the very first time. And we will see the adequacy of hell and the justice of hell. Now, let me repeat that. Listen, it is not until we get to heaven and we stand before a holy, infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, infinitely glorious God, that at that moment we will understand the adequacy of hell. Because, folks, listen, the reason that we cannot wrap our minds around it right now is because we haven't seen the glory of God. Because we haven't seen his holiness. But the moment that we understand and our souls take in the majesty of God, then we will understand the adequacy of hell. And, folks, the reason that Jesus was the only one that could be straight up with you and me about this place called hell it's because, write this down as big number three, it's because only Jesus can save us from hell and lead us to heaven. Amen, family? Amen. Only Jesus could do that. See, the great news of the gospel, the great news of the message of salvation is that Jesus Christ paid the price that was meant for us in hell so that we didn't have to. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, once for your rebellion and my rebellion, the righteous 
for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to what? He might bring us to God. You see, at the cross, even though Jesus didn't go to hell per se, listen, at the, at, at the cross, he suffered the full wrath of God that was meant for us in hell. Now think about this. Scripture ta- says that while Jesus was on the cross, he experienced a lot of the things the Bible describes hell as. For example, when Jesus was on the cross, it says that there was total darkness, just like in hell. The Bible talks that when Jesus was on the cross, he was consciously suffering. The Bible talks about how when Jesus was on the cross, listen, he was surrounded by demonic forces, just like in hell. Listen, when he was on the cross, he was under the judgment of sin. And when he was on that cross, listen carefully, he was separated from God's love and from God's grace and from the goodness of God while he was on the cross. Listen, he may not have gone to a little place called hell for us, but he suffered the wrath of God for us on that cross. Amen? Amen. Folks, that, and he, he did all that simple is because he loves you and because he loves me. So let me end with this. Listen, the doctrine of sin and hell, it may be something that for us as Christians, we may not want to talk about it when the conversation comes up. We might try to minimize it. We might try, we may be embarrassed about talking with friends and coworkers and family members about sin and hell. We might, we might be embarrassed, but let me, tell, let me remind you, who was not embarrassed to talk about sin and hell? And that was our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he spoke more about hell, about more, than, more about hell than heaven. He used more vivid terms to describe hell than he did heaven. And folks, the reason that he was straight up with us about this place called hell is because he loves you and he loves me. In fact, when you share, when you talk to other people about the truth of sin and hell and the salvation that there is in Jesus Christ, It is probably the most loving thing you can do. In fact, the opposite, not having the conversation, you can argue, it's probably the most unloving thing you can do. You know, there was a famous um, celebrity, he's an atheist, his name is Pendulet. Many of you have have seen him before. And one day in a video blog, they asked him the question about what he thought of people who believed about the truth of sin and hell, but didn't talk to people about it, didn't warn people about it. In fact, take a look at what he had to say about that. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. You know, family, he's 100% right. So the question as we wind up down today, we, a couple, just a couple next steps for us. Number one, I hope the words of our Lord raises your urgency against sin. 
I hope that whenever the Lord opens up the door for you to have that conversation someone about the truth of sin and hell, that you wouldn't avoid it, you, that you understand that it's the most loving thing you could do, and that you would just trust in the Lord that he would lead that conversation. Man, we are called to have those conversations. So have that conversation with that person in your life that you know you need to have that with. But maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Omar, you know, I came to church for the first time today. We're talking about sin and hell. And it's a heavy topic, but through this teaching, I realized that I need to get right with God. That I need to, I need to start this relationship with God. So how would I do that? Well, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the way you call him is it's not by coming to church. It's not by doing some ritual simple. It's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The fact that he lived that perfect life for us, he died for our sins, and he resurrected to new life. So if that's you, listen, I want to lead you in a prayer. And when I lead you through this prayer, listen, I don't want you to pray to me. I want, I want you to pray to the Lord. And so you remember that he is listening to you and waiting for you right now. Listen, if when we pray, if you've already come to know Christ, pray for those people around you that are taking the step of faith. Amen? So at all campuses, bow our heads for prayer and pray this with me. Father, today I realize, oh God, that I'm destined to spend eternity without you. Today I come before you. I confess my sin. I ask you for forgiveness of my sin. And I ask you to give me everlasting life, oh Lord. Help me to live the rest of my life even though I am not perfect. Lord, help me to live the rest of my life in a way that honors you. Because, Lord, you're the God who loved me and died for me and has a plan and a future for me. So to the Lord, today I come before you and I give my life. I put my trust in you today. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.